You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, you might not know it to look at the uh, MMA schedule from this past weekend, but we got a jam-packed show today. Isn't that surprising how that happens? Sometimes the MMA gods just reach down and surprise you. They smile upon us. We must have done something to favor them. Just wait. They'll bring it back around. You know they will. Oh, yeah. I mean, no good deed goes unpunished when it comes to the MMA gods. Right. And how could they ever really, truly crush our spirits if they did not occasionally lift them up? The highs wouldn't be so high without the lows, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. See how we start this show? Like on a, just on a great positive note. How are you doing this week? You seem much improved. <clears throat> you don't seem uh, like you, you dragged yourself in here one step from death's door like last week. Yeah. Last week was pretty rough. Although, even in the sorry state I was in last week, went out. Scored a goal, had a couple assists in a rec league hockey game, and just skated to glorious victory. Oh, victory? Yeah. You guys did not go undefeated for the week, though, is my understanding. Well, this was a different... See, what had happened was... This was unfortunate. I mean, in a lot of ways. Last night, the team that I play on on the Sunday League, we had to play a team who, last week, a member of their team died. And you might have read about this in local news reports. A man died... In an avalanche, which is one way that Montana hockey leagues differ from others, is that occasionally some teams are going to lose somebody to an avalanche. It's tragic. Uh, died in an avalanche, I believe, like snowmobiling in Idaho. Um, and then we played their team this week, and uh, it was an emotional game for them, and we just got the crap beaten out of us. So that was fun. But they were able to to honor their fallen teammate, so I'm sure yeah. you've, you've no. made peace with it. Good. I'm, I'm glad for them. Good. I hope they had a good time. Wow, you sound bitter about it. I mean, they, they brought in a bunch of dudes from higher leagues who were all just their friends who wanted to play for this guy. They were passing around the, the dead guy's stick to try to score goals with it. That's where they kind of lost me. That's I'm, where my sympathy got a little strained. I'm going to move on from this before it starts to uh, sound unseemly. It was a ghost stick, basically. We got music again this week from our guy, The Fifth Element, a music producer out of Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him, you can check him out over on Twitter at The Fifth Element, Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. As you guys all know by now, that's the word the with an A. The. As always, if you enjoy the Co-Main Event Podcast, you can do us a serious solid by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen on. That stuff really does help our ranking and our rating, so lend us a hand if you got a few minutes, and write us a positive review. Chad, you remember last week how we said we wanted to get to 200 patrons on our Patreon? Do I ever? You know what we're sitting at right now? I understand we're well up over 200. You want to take a guess? Uh, 225. Two. 45, my man. Get out of here. The CME universe answered our call. We're right there at 245. I mean, I'm not going to be the guy who sits there and says, hey, 250 would be a nice round number. Not going to be that guy. I'm sure that guy is having that conversation in his head out there somewhere right now. Do people think they're given to a different show? It, that is possible. Do, is our URL really similar to like the Jack Slack podcast or something? You know, 
it should be, now that you say that, we should actually go for a, just a really vague thing to where, for all you know, you could be given to anything. You could be just supporting like far right-wing militias um, and the people who fight far wing, right-wing militias. We want to get like a kind of a big tent approach is what I'm saying. But right now, we got to say, people answered the call. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about how we are going to answer the people answering the call. Uh, but we want to say thank you to all of you who have signed up for our Patreon. We appreciate each and every one of you. We think about you before we go to bed at night. Some of you wish we would stop and have sent us emails to that effect. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, and those of you who have not yet signed up for our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash co-main event. Sign up. It's only about five bucks a month. You know, the, the cup of a, the, the cost of a cup of coffee per episode. Uh, and you just fill our hearts with gladness. Plus, you, you keep Chad out of the poorhouse, which is just, it's always just a hop, skip, and a jump away. 250 though. Whew, wouldn't that be something? It'd be really something, it's wouldn't within it? Within reach. Patreon.com slash go made a bet. It's like we're reaching out for the brass ring, and we can just barely graze it with our fingertip. Plus, you might be supporting a completely different podcast you don't even know. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast, and round number one, we all sort of guessed that Ronda Rousey would turn up in WWE, but how many of you expected her signature maneuver to be the awkwardly long handshake? And in round number two, Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic heeded the call of last week's CME and will fight each other for the UFC heavyweight title. But wait, what exactly does Cain Velasquez mean when he tweets that if DC wins, quote, Things might get interesting. Hashtag and new. Hashtag we are AKA. Hashtag get my belt back. And in round number three, it's middleweight mania with Chakare. Chakare. Machida, that one Alabama football player dude, and a champion who may or may not have staff in his stomach or whatever. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff. Plus an episode of Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Travis Marshall. He writes, We all have a lot of fun with Gregor Gillespie's best fisherman in the UFC gimmick, but am I wrong to think that this might actually be kind of an effective thing for the guy? I mean, the CME is pretty much constantly talking about how WME, IMG, Endeavor's whole thing is supposed to be getting the fighters better opportunities for crossover success. Isn't there a whole realm of outdoorsy media out there featuring TV channels and magazines and YouTube streams of mostly men in the 18 to 40 year old demographic who might want to have a tough guy fisherman like Gregor Gillespie on their show? And might some of those fishing enthusiasts also find out they enjoy MMA? This dude is 10 and 0 now. Maybe they can actually do something with him. Just saying. Now, first of all, I have to correct Travis Marshall on two facts. Oh, boy. One, Gregor Gillespie, with his win this weekend over Jordan Rinaldi, actually now 11-0. and Whoa, okay. Also— Short change in the best fisherman he, in MMA. He does not—that's the other thing. He does not claim to be the best fisherman in the UFC. He claims to be the best fisherman in MMA. Okay, fishing right, with the gift. Right, right. Hashtag best fisherman in MMA. Hashtag fishing with the gift. I know this because if you follow him on Instagram, there's no way you can possibly miss that. He makes it very, very clear all the time. He, his social media presence is mostly about fishing. He's on brand with that. But I agree. And it's kind of amazing to me how, like, I didn't even really know that Gregor Gillespie was on this card until I sat down to watch the card. And they're like, coming up later, Gregor Gillespie. And I'm like, what? The, the gift? The best fisherman in MMA? Shit. 
All right, yeah. And it is surprising to me how a guy can be undefeated. He has an exciting style. You know, he, as he said afterwards, does not do the trash talk, calling people out thing. But when you already have this other gimmick of, you know, that you're a fisherman and the only thing you want to talk about on the mic is like, what local waterways you might go fishing in after this fight is over. Plus, you keep going out there and beating people's ass. It would seem like they could do a little something with you. Yeah, I had not considered the potential for Gregor Gillespie to monetize his love of fishing until this past week. I was talking with my immediate superior over at Bleacher Report. And, you know, when you work for Bleacher Report, obviously like a huge general interest sports website, uh, for them to really get their hooks in an MMA fighter, that fighter has to either enjoy tremendous popularity or has to have a little something extra. And we were kind of, we were talking about the nature of this, uh, UFC Charlotte card that was on Saturday night. And I was like, well, you got Gregor Gillespie on there, the best fisherman in MMA. Uh, and my boss was like, yeah, that's interesting. And we should pitch that as a story up the chain, uh, to Bleach Report, see if they are interested in, uh, you know, this UFC fighter who also is such an avid fisherman. And then, then it kind of dawned on me, wait a second, maybe Gregor Gillespie's whole fisherman gimmick will actually totally work. And I think Travis Marshall is spot on to point out, like, a multitude of, of media opportunities for a fighter who is also a talented fisherman, uh, where I got to believe that they are, are actively looking to have people sort of like that on their shows. Well, okay. But then it gets us to this question of who should be doing something with that. Cause it seems to me like the UFC has a bunch of these kind of guys where they're not quite big stars yet, but they got something interesting about them and they're good fighters. And when their fights come around, you go, Oh yeah. That guy, I remember I was interested in that guy, and I just kind of forgot about it because nobody was reminding me about it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm into that. And then he'll he'll fight, and then he'll go. They will just be replaced by next week's fights, and then it'll just kind of go on and on. I mean, is it that the UFC just has too many of these different kinds of things to keep and tr keep track of, and that the payoff doesn't seem big enough for them to focus on like a bunch of like building up a bunch of you know minor stars? Uh, as opposed to just focusing on like two or three megastars? Is it that, you know, maybe they are doing more and we don't realize it? Like, it seems like their perception out there among fans and media is that the UFC has a lot of people who are promotable in these kind of interesting niche ways and is just kind of ignoring it. Yeah, and isn't that the entire promise of the WME-IMG era is that maybe that, that kind of thing would start to become more common? Because one of the weird things about trying to cover the UFC, or it has historically been kind of weird about trying to cover the UFC, is that like more often than not, instead of the UFC coming to whatever media outlet and being like, hey, we've got this really interesting person, like you should do a story about them. It's the exact opposite, right? It's the media going to either a fighter's manager or the UFC and saying, hey, we're interested in Gregor Gillespie and him saying he's the best fisherman in MMA. And on top of that, at times, although to give them credit, they have gotten much, much better, uh, you know, over the last half dozen years or so. Uh, it's been like pulling teeth yeah. sometimes. Sometimes it's like either fighters and their managers don't understand media or like the company itself is disinterested and it, it can, well, at times it has felt like pulling teeth disinterested in MMA media. I think, cause it's one thing, like I think the UFC did, and I don't know how much they are doing now, but in like a lot recent years, 
you would see like a concerted effort of the UFC to get into especially like anything print. Like that was just, I think that they, something they wanted to be able to like put on Lorenzo Fertitta's coffee table in the morning and say, hey, we're doing our job. Look at this. You can see us in a newspaper. If we're in San Francisco, you can see us in the newspaper there. You know, we're in Omaha. You can see us in the newspaper there. They were really super into just like traditional print media stuff. And with the MMA media, they kind of just took it for granted. Like, hey, we got you guys. You're not going anywhere. Uh, and you're right that then you would come to them and say, hey, let me – like try to do a story on this guy and they just, it didn't seem worth the time to them, which seems to me now, like you see how, for one thing, the the media landscape just in general has changed, but also like the MMA media, are the people who are talking to your fans on a daily basis. And you've got a bunch of these guys that seems like they're kind of sitting around not doing anything. It's not like Gregor Gillespie can't possibly field an interview request or two. It just seems like the UFC is just not interested in hitting a bunch of singles in that way. It seems like they are just kind of solely thinking home runs when it comes to, you know, building up stars and, and media presence stuff. Well, yeah, but they ought to be, though, right? Like, there there ought to be a whole team of PR people at the UFC whose sole job is to take, like, a small stable of fighters like Gregor Gillespie, you know, Eric Anders. Maybe you got uh, Jessica Rose Clark. And those are your people, and your job is to pitch them to various like niche or mainstream media and like maybe they have those people and i just i just don't know about it i mean when's the last time you ever got a pitch from the ufc about a story yeah that's true uh i mean i get pitches from bellator i get pitches from other people like from managers and from like uh pr people who uh managers and stuff hire uh Ed Cap being probably, I don't know if you're good pitches from Ed Cap. He always has good ideas and he's really aggressive about pitching them. Like that's who, if I was going to be a fighter, that's who I'd want uh, out there doing my PR because he's actually out there earning his money. But you never hear from the UFC. Like you said, you went to do the Francis Ngannou thing. You had to really get on the UFC to try to get, get some cooperation to do it. And that should have been the story they were trying to tell. And it was, in fact, like the story you told about Francis Ngannou ends up being the story the UFC tells about Francis Ngannou, which happens all the time. And where they're, they'll just kind of piggyback off of somebody else's reporting on these fighters, but, you know, of course, without acknowledgement. And it seems like you should want this to be happening more often. It gives you somewhere to go. It helps elevate the, the, the story and get more people aware of it and gives you something to promote. And yet they just don't really seem to care. Short answer, should they be doing more to, to pitch Gregor Gillespie? Yeah, seems like it. Yeah, he should be on a fishing show. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Eric Gannett, or Eric Ganet, depending on the pronunciation. He writes, an under-the-radar storyline for this weekend's UFC may be Valentina Shevchenko's move to flyweight. While her nickname, The Bullet, may be a little too close to comfort uh, for her actual lifestyle, she's just 29 and is coming off a loss to bantamweight champ Amanda Nunes via split decision. Safe to say Shevchenko could make some noise at a lighter weight, question mark. Yeah, you wonder about that too, about the lighter weight. Um, with her kind of style, do you think Valentina Shevchenko goes out there and starts putting people away uh, with a greater frequency or just a little bit more uh, ferocious uh, striking at a lighter weight? Well, now we're getting ourselves into that, uh, what is becoming more and more of a common discussion in this sport, right? Will Valentina Shevchenko's added size pay dividends down there at 125 pounds or is the weight cut of having to take an extra 10 pounds off, you know, just to get down and make the women's flyweight limit. Do, do you get into like uh diminishing returns? Is it going to take so much out of her that she is not able to be the explosive and, you know, confident, vicious striker that she needs to be down there uh to, to do those stoppages? Well, and I think like if she can get into some more uh grappling battles that are to her advantage, 
then I think the size definitely is going to help you out. I, I agree. You never know exactly what you're going to get if somebody, when somebody goes and, and changes weight class, but just her, the, the wealth of experience that she has both like in kickboxing and MMA, it does seem like she's right there. You know, she could have gotten that decision against Amanda Nunes. And I don't know if anybody is going to be sitting there calling that a robbery. If it goes the other way, it seems like she's got to be, somebody you consider as being like, you know, she's at least in the top three of somebody you think could be a champion here uh, in less than a year from now. So I, I wonder, though, are people really ready to, enough to get excited about Valentina Shevchenko? Well, this is an interesting matchup for her in her flyweight debut. Obviously, she's two and two in her last four fights, but she has wins over Juliana Pena and Holly Holm kind of sandwiched around the losses uh, to Amanda Nunez. Uh, she's going to take on Priscilla Cachoeira, who's making her UFC debut uh, this Saturday. This is at UFC Fight Night. What is it? 125? 125. Down there in Brazil. She's obviously, Priscilla Cachoeira is obviously Brazilian. Uh, she's only been a professional MMA fighter for about 18 months. She's 8-0. Uh, she's a heavy hitter uh, and and is like one of the, you know, just to piggyback a little bit on our Gregor Gillespie discussion, like has a super interesting story because she's a former crack addict uh, who cleaned up her life and became a professional fighter and is now about to make her UFC debut. Huh. In fact, your guy Chad Dundas has a story about her coming out on Wednesday. Uh, and let me say to their credit, I worked with UFC Brazil on it and they were outstanding. Did They were just... Uh, uh, you know, really good to work with and, and easy and, and got us everything we needed and hooked me up with Priscilla and her mom. And so it's an interesting story. Uh, but at the same time, Priscilla Cachoeira is going to be a significant underdog to Valentina Shevchenko this weekend. And that makes you wonder from a matchmaking standpoint, like, are we trying to get Valentina Shevchenko off and running at 125 pounds? By having her go down to Brazil and smash a Brazilian with an inspiring personal story? Yeah, like serving her up a fight where where she she might get exactly what you were saying she needs. Yeah, well, and I could see that that would be the kind of thing that uh, would wake people up a little bit and go, oh yeah, Valentina Shevchenko went flyweight. That's something I could get excited for. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it does seem like if you're gonna go after that, like as a goal. It's always tough to make those kind of fights in MMA just because if you go in, like we've always said, if you go into a fight thinking like, here's the outcome we want for what we want to do in the future, man, MMA gods will smite thee. First round knockout victory for Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Dan Hall. He writes, I've been thinking recently that the current UFC PPV model, or I've been thinking about the current UFC pay-per-view model. I'm no businessman. However, following lackluster estimated numbers over the last year, I wonder if an overhaul is in order. The estimates placed last year's figures at just over 4 million buys, an average of about 340,000. Uh, why not do four blockbuster pay-per-views each year where you stack the card from top to bottom? This would mean that a 1 million buy rate per show uh, would achieve a similar result. I would also allow for more cards to be on Fox or other potential partners, uh, which could help in negotiations. Getting a larger buy rate for these four cards would allow you to showcase up-and-coming talent to a larger audience and try to create stars for the future without having the luxury of three McGregor fights per year or any Ronda fights or one Jones fight per every three scandals, I don't see another way of generating big numbers. What say you? Well, this if you're trying to convince me that we should have fewer pay-per-views and they should be more awesome, it's not going to be a very tough sell. Yeah, you're kind of preaching to the choir here, right? And then, in a way, this is sort of a throwback approach to how the UFC used to do it in days of old, where kind of all you had was, was pay-per-views, 
And, you know, even though, even during the days when they were pulling off 10, 11 a year, you know, when you weren't bogged down with uh, three or four different platforms over on Fox that you got to serve up 13 fights every single weekend, uh, your pay-per-views were in fact stacked from top to bottom. Uh, you know, prelims weren't necessarily as big of a deal back then. You couldn't see them. You couldn't see them, but you would tune, tune in for every single main card because, you know, it was almost all people you knew in fights that felt meaningful. And, and so it, it was like you spent the money without even thinking about it. Now, like we talked about surrounding UFC 220, when you're going to up the price to 65 bucks and we're really only in it for the light heavyweight and heavyweight championship fights is starting to feel like more and more like we, we question whether or not it's worth the, the financial output to, to go ahead and watch that pay-per-view. I don't know, man. Like, I think it might be an interesting idea for the UFC to, to, uh, to sort of reassess its, its commitment to pay-per-view, which at some point in the future it, it will have to do. But I think at the moment that is, you know, it's an easy sell to us. It's probably a difficult sell to the, to the people who are cashing those checks. Yeah, well, and one of the problems that I could foresee with something like this is if you tell yourself, you know what, we're only going to do four pay-per-views a year, but they're all going to be huge, and therefore the numbers will all equal out in the end, is you know you're only a couple key injuries away from ruining your entire year. You know, if you plan on we got to nail these four pay-per-views, if something happens to weaken you know, one or two of those pay-per-views, suddenly the bottom line is in a whole lot of trouble. Last question this week comes to us from Drew Brown. He writes, parenting question here. My brothers and I watch most of the UFC pay-per-view events, and I've got postered, posters and other MMA-themed stuff in my basement, so my soon-to-be four-year-old is going to catch on soon that I like and seek entertainment in watching human beings try to hurt each other, which seems kind of out of character for me. I was raised by my mom, so there's not a lot of innate machismo to me, and I don't believe in raising Archer to think that boys have to be aggressive. Everyone is always really confused when I tell him I'm a big MMA fan. I guess people still expect the tap out bro for some reason. Anyway, should I keep him away from MMA until he can understand the context of the violence or do I not ever make it seem like it's taboo and treat it like just any other sport? I respect you both and value your insights as intellectual fans of combat and parents. It's an interesting question. And I also, I mean, I've considered this question as well because, you know, Daddy has to watch a lot of MMA, especially in like, you know, it'll be starting at like this Saturday starts at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so my kids are like aware, like, oh, dad is working down in the basement, which is also like a, a strong temptation to come down there and bother me. And then you're going to see some fighting on TV. And I don't like make a big deal out of it or anything. And in fact, and my answer, I'm sure changes since I have two girls who are like three and five. And so I'll never miss an opportunity to point out to my daughters when there are women fighting on the TV because I feel like as the father to two girls, I'm constantly trying to point out, like, you can do all the same things that boys can do and don't let anyone tell you you can't kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I'll point it out to them. They've seen it enough just kind of like passing through the room where they're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's that thing you watch. They're not really into it and they're not really that curious about it. I mean, I show them, like, wrestling moves and stuff on each other. Uh, you know, every once in a while, they'll low kick each other, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't ever worry like, hey, they're going to see this and they're going to think that either it's weird or I'm weird for watching it. Maybe that answer will change as they get older. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious because since you have two boys, uh, the if the answer has to change necessarily based on that. Yeah, and so far, you know, my two boys are two and nine months old. Their older sister uh, is five. 
So the two boys are totally like oblivious kind of of what's happening on the television. Uh, my five-year-old's also to a point like she, she will come in and like wants to watch the ball game as she calls it uh, with, with her dad, but she gets disinterested really, really fast. Most of her questions are like, why are they not wearing clothes? Uh, Can we watch Moana? Yeah. She she's really interested in when we could turn it off and watch trolls. Uh, but in terms of like trying to explain it to her and future plans for trying to explain it to boys, like, I feel like you just need to be kind of honest about it. Right. And, and, you know, as a parent, you can decide when you want to try to take on some of the more darker, like side issues about the sport. Let me talk to you about the way promoters take advantage of fighters. Right. Like, I don't know that you necessarily need to get into that conversation with like a five year cutting is a serious problem. Needs to be addressed. But I think, like, just reinforcing them the to them the idea that, like, you don't want to punch or kick someone out on the street or on the playground. And if you do that, you're going to get in big trouble and you would never want to hurt another person unless they had it coming. Uh, Asking for it, begging for it. But, like, in a, in like, but it's different in sort of like a sports context. This, yeah, that's the, and that's the same thing I used to say when people would make this argument of, like, hey, you know, you shouldn't put MMA on TV because what is a kid supposed to think? They see this stuff uh, being celebrated on TV and then they're going to go out and do it on the playground. Yeah, I mean, if you go out and you do the stuff you see in the NFL on the playground, you're going to get in trouble there, too. It shouldn't be that difficult to make that same kind of argument that this stuff can be appropriate for this situation. Uh, for those people, and that doesn't mean it's appropriate for you in every possible situation. And maybe the the conversation will be more complicated than I anticipate that it will as they get bigger. But so far, like it hasn't been an issue at all. Uh, it's it, the UFC like main card also comes on kind of after their bedtimes, right? So like, but I mean, I remember uh, definitely being older than this, but like being like you know somewhere probably between eight and ten and watching old like classic boxing fights on like espn where they'd show like old boxing like muhammad ali you know joe frazier kind of fights on espn watching it with my dad who's a big boxing fan and just kind of realizing like oh okay like here is this whole other thing like the, the different from other sports kind of thing and having like my dad kind of talk it through me and those i'm obviously probably formative memories for me if you look at where i ended up but i I don't see why it has to be like a more problematic thing than any other violent sport, basically. You know what I had a really, really hard time explaining to my daughter this past weekend? What's that? Professional wrestling. Yep. That's I was, a weird one. I was watching the uh, Johnny Gargano versus Andraj Almas main event of WWE NXT because uh, my wife was out of the house. And I was like, oh, I'll throw it on. We'll see what's everybody's raving about it. Let's watch it. Sure. My daughter comes in, sits down. Man. Trying to explain to her the concept of professional wrestling was like, I might as well like have been trying to explain the tax code to yeah. her because she was like, why are they doing it? Why are they not wearing clothes? Is that guy really hurt? Like, and I was trying to explain to her like, no, it's, it's just a show. They're both sort of like actors. They're doing it just to entertain the crowd. And she just kept being like, why? Like, <laughs> why are they doing it? I was like, this is like having a conversation about pro wrestling with Ben Folks. You know, this kind of reminds me of once when I heard two Brazilian fighters try to explain the rules of American baseball to one another. And one of them kind of understood it. One of them really didn't understand it. And just hearing him, you know, he was not wrong, really, in his explanation. But hearing it explained, you're like, yeah, this is fucking madness. Well, and I also, like a couple weeks ago, took her to her first college basketball game. We went to watch the Lady Grizz play. uh, And, like, just trying to explain to her the rules of basketball. Just an insanity, man. Like what a foul is. Like what traveling is. Yeah. I was like, all right, let's get some popcorn. There you go. 
That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you got questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. You know, we didn't get a lot of mail this week, as no. maybe was to be expected given the, given the calendar. But, like, if you're, if you're looking to jump on the CME with a question, it's a good time to do it because uh, volume is down so to speak, right now. Just well, this sounds a little desperate on your part. Not, not a lot of stuff. I'm saying if people want to get their questions on air, now's a good time to jump on it. Trying to help people out, out there. Maybe there was like a big European soccer match or something, so most of our question askers did not have time because they were playing in them. I think it's because people are signing up for the Patreon, and then it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. They're like, well, I did my part already. I logged onto the internet and did something involving the co-main event podcast. Now I'm done. You're saying that in addition to this this monetary element, there is an exchange of ideas that has to happen. It's a marketplace of ideas, Ben. Yeah. That's exactly right. Okay. Speaking of which, while you're at the website, comainevent.com, you can sign up for the newsletter, The Breakfast of Champions. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss. All the days that we're not recording the podcast, stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would like to think it's funny, and if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. WrestleMania sign time in WWE right now, as it is every year during the run-up to the WWE's uh, biggest show of the year, WrestleMania, which is usually in April. So from about the time you get into January, including last weekend's Royal Rumble, until you eventually get to the granddaddy of them all, uh, almost every show ends with somebody pointing at the big WrestleMania sign on the far wall of the arena. I have a question about that. Since you are more familiar with the workings of modern-day professional wrestling than I am, so at the Royal Rumble, they do this every year. They have a WrestleMania sign up there because that seems confusing. It's a relatively new development, but I would say the last like three or four years, they've had the big WrestleMania sign up there, and there's an awful lot of pointing at the sign that goes on. Is that its only purpose is to be pointed at? Yeah, because you got to get the shots for everybody pointing at the WrestleMania sign that, that you can then incorporate into your slick promo videos for WrestleMania. you got to have the shot of Ronda Rousey, who just obviously made her WWE E debut this past weekend following the the first ever women's royal rumble uh and then went and stood in the ring and pointed at the wrestlemania sign for a while you got to have that shot of her so that later when you're doing your wrestlemania promos you can include the shot of ronda rousey pointing at the wrestlemania sign so they decided at some point you know having them talk about the next event that they're gonna be at is just not good enough we it, need a, like a, it needs to be more easily translatable to people who do not speak or understand just pivoting the to video, my man. Everybody just pointing at the sign. You know, it's, it's going to be great when pro wrestling is just all just like 
really broad signifiers, basically. I think we're already there. Okay. Uh, I have also long said that the lead up to WrestleMania is the worst time of the year to be an actual professional wrestling fan because this is the time of year that the WWE takes all of the performers that you have come to know and love from your enjoyment of the rest of the year and tosses them in the back seat so it can tack on as many bells and whistles as possible to get people who don't ordinarily consume the product to go ahead and watch WrestleMania. Uh, part of that this year includes Ronda Rousey, who showed up, like I said, at the Royal Rumble, uh, didn't speak, didn't compete, exchanged some awkward long handshakes uh, with, with some competitors and also with uh, Stephanie McMahon. Uh, and we're now led to believe has signed a full-time contract to become a WWE performer. Uh, I assume leading to a huge match at WrestleMania. There's a lot of rumors about what she might be doing at WrestleMania. And then maybe beyond that, she, she just sort of segues into a uh, Brock Lesnar style uh, existence where she is a, essentially a full-time contributor to WWE. Ben, as an MMA fan and a guy who casually dabbles in, in the WWE product from time to time, what do you make of Ronda Rousey crossing the line and going over there? And, and does it do anything for you at all in terms of your interest? You mean, will it get me to sit down and watch some pro wrestling just because Ronda Rousey's involved? No. Probably will not. I will, I will check it out on Twitter the next day. I will see the little clips to see if she's any good at it. Uh, just like I did with when like the first time she showed up and did a little like backstage uh, face-off kind of thing. Just like I saw the clips on Twitter of her pointing at the WrestleMania sign and slapping the girl's hand away when she tries to shake her hand. I thought I found it telling. I will say that in her first uh, appearance at like like at a big WWE event, she didn't talk at all. From what I can tell, no. No actual mic time, which I think kind of tells you that maybe it wasn't just Hollywood that had some misgivings about Ronda Rousey's acting chops. Otherwise, why wouldn't you give her the mic? Um, but no, I mean, like, it it doesn't get me especially excited to watch any pro wrestling. I am still curious to see, like, if this will really be her new career. Because it seemed like when she left MMA, and it left MMA on a sour note, let's say that, only two losses of her career... The second one, she didn't even seem like she really wanted to be there. Didn't seem terribly prepared or very enthusiastic about doing that fight. She loses that one and then just kind of disappears. And so that has to, I think, kind of color our idea of her legacy. And still, her legacy is still pretty damn good in MMA. She's a trailblazer for women's fighters and uh, you know opened up the UFC to women's MMA. So, yeah, still a great legacy. But then... It's like, okay, she's going to go do acting. She's going to be in TV and movies. And then it seems like uh, maybe they are not quite as crazy about her anymore, especially once time passes and she's Ronda Rousey, who used to be a fighter. And now she's moving to the WWE. So I, a part of me does wonder, a year from now, who is she going to be? Is she still going to be Ronda Rousey, the, the pro wrestler? Is she going to come back to MMA? Is she going to be trying to act again? It's tough to call at this point. Yeah, we can't know. I guess before we before I dive into to my comments on it, I just want to say good for Rhonda, frankly, for going out there uh, and doing this thing that she clearly is interested in. She was obviously really happy to be there at the Royal Rumble. She has harbored a long interest in professional wrestling. She's, we assume, going to make a lot of money. So, hey, man, more power to her if she, if she wants to do that uh, and good for her. I think that, you know, it, after we having said that, like, I... I kind of suspect that professional wrestling is going to turn out to be more hard or harder than she thinks it is, because I think it turns out to be that way uh, for a lot of people. And obviously 
Uh, Brock Lesnar was able to parlay his uh, previous success as an amateur wrestler into being a tremendous professional wrestler and then made the crossover to mixed martial arts and has since kind of dabbled in both uh, moving forward. It remains to be seen how Ronda Rousey's skill set or athleticism or ability on the mic uh, translates to the WWE and whether she can be, uh, you know, make a long term home for herself there. There is an interesting kind of like relationship going on right now, though, Ben, between professional wrestling and MMA, and in this case, specifically the UFC and WWE. And and as it pertains to Ronda Rousey, I think it's that Ronda Rousey kind of feels not necessarily like damaged goods in the UFC, but sort of like her stock had fallen a lot just due to the losses to Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez. Like, I think we ha- those of us who rapidly follow mixed martial arts sort of have this view of her now. Uh, that, you know, if she comes back in fights, we will probably watch it, but, but we don't necessarily consider her to be a hot commodity in the MMA world. Uh, but being Ronda Rousey, I think, still plays in the WWE. So you have this weird relationship where, like, uh, WWE kind of tacitly acknowledges its own fakeness in that we think, well, Brock Lesnar got beat and Ronda Rousey both got beat in MMA, but obviously they could still beat up anybody over in the WWE, Right. Uh, they kind of tacitly CM Punk helped that attitude a little bit, right? They kind of tacitly acknowledge that, but also just by having Ronda Rousey over there also helps out the UFC brand and, and MMA because they're going to talk about her like she's super tough because she has done this UFC thing. So it continues to like put the spotlight both on the UFC while also giving WWE uh, what it needs to have a, this promotable entity out there. So like that's an interesting thing that's happening right now. And in addition to that, like you see an awful lot of crossover right now, especially, you know, some some interesting potential for Ronda Rousey, just with Shayna Baszler being in uh, WWE NXT brand, uh, Jessamyn Duke uh, kind of trying to make a go of it, I believe, as a professional wrestler. So you got a lot of weird crossover right now uh, where it kind of seems like everyone who's a wrestler wants to be a fighter. And everybody who's a fighter wants to be a wrestler. Yeah, and it does seem like, and not just between pro wrestling and MMA, but also between kind of all the combat sports right now, the walls that used to exist between them seem to have kind of melted away to some extent. And there is a lot more movement that you see between them. I I also, though, wonder for someone like Ronda Rousey, uh, if after a while of being a pro wrestler, if she will get what she came for out of it. I mean, it's tough to know exactly what she's there for if she's just wants to do it because she thinks it'd be fun or because it's a good opportunity to make some money, uh, kind of keep the same level of celebrity going among like a, a sort of different part of the Venn diagram of those fans, because there is a lot of crossover between pro wrestling and MMA fans. But I also wonder somebody so intensely competitive, if they're going to be super happy with just, you know, basically being a performer, somebody in these contests where the outcome is scripted and everything. And, you know, everything about it is like the, the whole image that you portray is scripted, which has got to be a little weird when you're somebody like Ronda Rousey, where you come in with this already like existing persona that was, you know, at least a lot of your natural personality because of who you were when you were in MMA and a lot of your personality tends to show through that way. And then they kind of they've taken it and slapped a little Rowdy Roddy Piper branding on it uh, and kind of pushed her out the door there. And you can see how that, that seems like it's definitely going to work for her. The the fans are really excited about her. Um, but then you're still, you're going out there and playing Ronda Rousey, but it's you, that version of Ronda Rousey has to be whoever the WWE needs her to be. Remember when we talked about the possibility of Ronda Rousey leaving MMA to go to acting full-time in Hollywood. And I questioned 
uh, whether or not like the Ronda Rousey personality would play that well in Hollywood because, you know, Ronda Rousey hangs around not, not being that nice to everyone. Not, Glowering badass like, kind of thing. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't come here to make friends, which is a really uh, useful thing to do when you are in fighting. But like when you have to go hang out on a movie set for 12 hours and see and film the same scene over and over and over again, I just wondered like if people who are used to dealing with professional actors would really take to that attitude. And I think that we saw with Quentin Jackson's foray into acting, like everyone said he did a good job in the A-team, but that performance was followed by exactly zero uh, acting parts after that. And, you know, we heard stories that like maybe having him around the A-team set wasn't the greatest thing in the world a lot of the time. I can't imagine. And I wondered about that with Ronda Rousey. Like, does her personality, uh, like, translate to hanging around on a film set for 12 hours doing the same thing over and over again? I kind of wonder about the same thing in WWE because, like, uh, clearly she's going to have to do a lot of training to get up to speed and all that. But especially if she goes out on the road and does the travel schedule that the WWE does, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of downtime in this thing, man. And a lot of like hanging around with your peers backstage, uh, in professional wrestling, uh, and then like going out and doing your, you know, 10 minute to 30 minute thing on TV every night or every Monday night or whenever. And then, and then going back to spend more time with, uh, with your peers in wrestling. I wonder how she will be accepted. And I wonder how she will navigate those waters because while we don't think about that stuff very often, like that could be a, a huge pitfall for her if she's not able to do that. Do you think it's also one of these things where when you are deep into a sport like MMA and you know what the positives and the negatives are, you know where the problems are because you've been there for a while and everybody around you has been there for a while and something like the WWE or you know acting or whatever else it is looks like a more attractive option just because you might only see the good stuff from a distance or you, you might only see your imagined version of it. The same way like I hear fighters sometimes talk when they get dispirited with MMA for one reason or another and they'll say stuff like, you know what, I don't know, maybe I'll just quit and go get an office job or something. And they so often will phrase it that way. And you're like, what do you think that means exactly? And how do you think that works? Like do you, do you think that it's like – Anybody, uh, whenever they're ready to kind of give up and check out, can just kind of be like, okay, fine. I'll take the office job with the salary and the benefits and all that stuff. Just give it to me. Uh, and I kind of wonder if it's – because MMA fighters, pro wrestling has become, especially in recent years, this kind of thing to them where it's just like, all right, well, maybe that's a, a move I can make. And then it will all just be – I won't have to worry about all this MMA bullshit anymore. You know, going out there, getting your jaw broken, and then people tell you it was boring. Uh, and I'll just go out there. You know, I can do it. I'm, I'm a tough guy. I can go and I can perform and I can do all this stuff. And that just because you don't know it as well, you don't see all the things about it that are hard and awful the way you do with your own thing. Well, yeah, when you are a full-time fighter, you think being a full-time professional wrestler sounds awesome. And when you are a full-time professional wrestler like CM Punk, you think being a full-time fighter sounds totally awesome. And I think both sides of the equation find out that the thing that they wanted to do is maybe harder than they thought it was going to be. And like clearly from like a toughness standpoint, I think Ronda Rousey is going to be up from the challenge, but like she's really getting thrown into the deep end here, man, without unless unless she's secretly been at the WWE Performance Center for months and months already and is is going to do a couple more months of training before we throw her out in a tag match with The Rock at WrestleMania, like they can probably come up with some ways to like protect her uh like her deficiencies in professional wrestling but like in almost any walk of life if you have no experience in it and they drop you into like the biggest 
stage of the year, like you're not going to be good at it. Like even if it's doing uh, inventory at a diesel parts shop, if you've never done it before and you, they drop you in the busiest day of the year and they're like, all right, man, go part, go count all those diesel parts. You're probably going to fuck it up. What do you think is the busiest day of the year at the diesel parts shop? Oh, I know what it is. It's inventory. I've done it. I've done inventory at the diesel shop, diesel repair shop. So that wasn't you. Just didn't pull that out of that's, thin air. That's like that's out of my back pocket. I that's some personal it. life stuff. Can you can hear probably, the, the razor in your voice you can right hear now. Hear the raw emotion as I talked about it. You want to do? Are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Sure, Ben. I'm going to do my. Are you fucking kidding me? Because it is also WWE related this week. Ben, the XFL is coming back. 2020 Vince McMahon take two on the professional football league losing a bunch of money wasn't the first time around wasn't enough for the guy he's gonna roll this thing out again uh I guess with interest and ratings of professional football at an all-time low uh crazy maverick Vince McMahon doesn't see a declining uh fan base he sees opportunity and so he's gonna roll out the XFL again exactly what it looks like we don't know yet uh, but let me just say, as a person who attended an XFL game myself in 2001, allow me to just say, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Didn't work the first time. Not sure exactly what we're doing the second time. You know, I'm equal parts baffled and scared because I think, man, 2020, the way we're going, could be a different, a very different landscape, especially for something like professional football. And you don't know just because of where we are in 2018 what exactly the market and uh, just general taste is going to be like in 2020. But then I think maybe that's part of Vince McMahon's bet. Maybe he is betting on some kind of radical change to their culture that will make the XFL more palatable. And therefore, man, I'm kind of scared. Maybe the radical change is the XFL. Did you ever think about that? Oh, that was my mind blowing up. Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week? My are you fucking kidding me? I see Dana White is still out there talking. Just, I think, made some comments to the Associated Press recently when they were at uh, Boston for UFC 220 about George St. Pierre's comeback, which Dana White continues to insist with an air of disappointment was purely financial. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Or are we going to be shocked that, that a prize fighter might have engaged in a goddamn cage fight? Solely because of the money he hoped to gain as a result? Also, are you fucking kidding me that this is going to be somehow surprising or disappointing or even worth remarking on to Dana White, who obviously is not prepared, a pure soul like Dana White, not prepared to even think about how somebody might do something only for the money. Yeah, he actually does not collect a salary from the UFC. He's just in it for the love of the game. Is this the same Dana White? He used to say that training partners and friends need to go ahead and fight each other because, hey, that friend isn't going to be around to pay your bills later on. Is this the same Dana White who used to say, hey, you know, you don't want to be taking time off in your prime. You need to fight while you can, strike while the iron hot, make as much goddamn money as you can by fighting all the time. Is this that same guy? Because are you fucking kidding me? It seems like that guy ought to be able to understand the purely financial motivations of absolutely anybody fucking kidding me well hey speaking of friends fighting each other that's coming up in round two and it starts right now
Wilchad, ask and ye shall receive. I, I admit, I didn't think there was any way we were going to get our prayers answered this quickly, especially if at all. And yet, lo and behold, right after we we're on here talking about how, man, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier would sure be a whole hell of a lot of fun, and it's not like either one of them have a whole lot else to do right now. Boom, UFC goes ahead and books it for July. It's going down, Chad. It's going down. It is. We're hyped about it. It was the fight to make. I think everybody realized that. Uh, we didn't think we were actually going to see it, but lo and behold, it only takes a few days to get signed. And I guess uh, to that end, it seems like kind of surprising that in the heavyweight division right now, these last two title fights that we've had have been signed relatively quickly in the wake of Francis Ngannou's knockout over uh, Alistair Overeem. We were talking about it that night, and then uh, I believe a few days later we made it official for a quick turnaround for UFC 220 to fight Steve Miocic for the title. Now we got Cormier versus Miocic coming together, uh, what we think is relatively quickly in the wake of Miocic's victory over Ngannou. So we talked about it last week without a real clear-cut number one contender. Uh, in either division, you got a guy who, aside from two losses to John Jones and Daniel Cormier, ha- has not been beaten and was undefeated as a heavyweight. So it kind of makes all the sense in the world for him to step up to heavyweight for this title versus title match against Stipe Miocic, especially when you consider with Daniel Cormier, he's kind of nearing the end of his MMA career. He set a hard and fast date for his retirement. That is his 40th birthday uh, next year, 2019. So, uh, he's going to make a lot of money out of this. And let me ask you this, Ben, like, this is kind of what I think, but like, if he goes out there and somehow beats Steve Miocic and becomes a UFC heavyweight champion, does that do, I think it does some to distance himself from those losses to John Jones. Do you uh, agree that like he can get a little, uh, rehabilitation here if he becomes a UFC heavyweight champion? Well, absolutely. And he kind of changes the narrative around his whole career and legacy Instead of being the second best light heavyweight, the guy who would have been the best if John Jones had never been bored, or again, become a DJ, which I still think is a great alternative timeline for What's John up, Jones. What's up, Ithaca? Are you ready to get down? I'm, and imagine this DJ plays only like hits of the late 80s and 90s. Yeah, probably like uh, classic house yeah. music. Yeah. John Jones's uh, niche. Yeah. Again, shows up, shirt doesn't even have any buttons on it. That's, that's how serious he is. Uh, but I think that if he goes out there and he beats Stipe Miocic, I mean, it's a, there's way more to gain from this fight in that sense for Daniel Cormier than there is from Stipe. Because if he, if he does that, then you just kind of, kind of think of him as one of the all around greatest fighters because he'll have that previous career as a heavyweight where he won that Strike Force heavyweight Grand Prix, then drops down to light heavyweight, ends up being a really, really good light heavyweight, then goes back up and beats the dude who had just set the record for consecutive UFC heavyweight title defenses, I mean, that is a hell of a way to go, especially in his late 30s to be able to go and pull something like that off. It's it's a, a huge accomplishment that will really change the way people think about him afterwards. On the flip side, though, I, I mean, I understand why Stipe Miocic would take this fight, especially right now, because you look around and it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to get back into reruns with Fabricio Verdum and stuff like that? But still, you know what's going to happen. If he goes out there and he knocks out Cormier, people are going to be like, whatever, he knocked out a light heavyweight. Yeah, kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for Miocic. But like, Except for all the money. Right, money-wise, I was going to say, this seems like the biggest thing he could do, right? Don't you think Cormier versus Miocic is going to uh, inspire some interest? Like uh, the light heavyweight champ against the heavyweight champ. We don't get these 
like bona fide super fights that often in MMA. Uh, I think monetarily, this is far and away the biggest thing either of these guys could do. Uh, and Miocic, like he's probably riding high confidence wise right now. He just went out there uh, and absolutely destroyed the guy that a lot of people thought was going to beat him. So if you're Miocic, you probably think huge payday, uh, easy fight. But maybe my question is, is, do you think that's really true? I think as we just, as we open the door on this thing and address it for the first time, I agree that uh, it's probably right to think of Miocic as the favorite here. But Cormier was pretty damn good as a heavyweight. And people keep talking about how he's going to be too small for uh, Miocic, who's a, who's a much larger guy, obviously. And I keep thinking about Daniel Cormier scooping up Josh Barnett and body slamming him like a, like he's a tiny child. What's your take here? Do you think Miocic is the early pick? And do you think that it's too much size for Cormier? No, I mean, I do think he deserves to be the favorite, but I think there's no way you think of this as an easy fight if you're Stipe. Just Cormier is so damn tough. It, he's going to be coming in there probably somewhere in the 230s maybe high 230s, low 240s. You know, you got the the height and the reach on the guy probably, but he's such a good athlete and he can do so many things well that you cannot look past that guy and just assume because he's coming up from a different division that he's going to be easy. One of the things that concerns me about Daniel Cormier is you could see in that fight with Volkan Ozdemir, where he goes out there a couple times and it seemed like he just assumed it would be really easy to get an early takedown on, on Volkan Ozdemir and it wasn't. And so then he had to stand there and strike with him a little bit and still you see some of the same like bad head movement habits from Daniel Cormier that kind of got him knocked out against John Jones. You still see him really kind of predictably dipping his head off to one side and was getting kind of tagged a little bit like that early on. And he, but he could afford to kind of stand in there and get into that kind of brawl with uh, Vulcan Ozdemir and, and wear him down pretty quickly. And I don't know if you can afford to do that quite the same way with, with Stipe. I think the margin for error is going to be a little bit smaller for him. And the fact that even after that, that John Jones fight, you still have some of those same deficiencies in your game. That worries me a little bit, especially you got six months basically to get ready for Stipe. Uh, I, it's not that hard for me to imagine that Stipe is going to clue into some of the same stuff that Jones camp did. And if you go out there and you end up doing the same stuff, you get knocked out. Yeah, that's a good point, I think, and, and one that should certainly be considered. Clearly, we are jumping over an enormous uh, hurdle, but given Cain Velasquez's tweet this past week, I do want to talk about it a little bit. We have always been led to believe there was no possibility that the two brothers out of the American Kickboxing Academy uh, would fight each other. Then Cain puts out this tweet, which I don't know if you have any way you can read it aside from maybe the door isn't as shut on that issue as we thought it was. I still think the overwhelming likelihood is that Cormier either retires or goes back to light heavyweight in the event that he uh, defies the odds maybe and beats Stipe Miocic. But do you wonder a little bit now? And as I tweeted over the weekend, like, does it seem like Cormier and Velasquez have been sitting on the hottest angle in mixed martial arts this whole time and we just now realized it? I don't buy it. I I think that they are saying to each other privately, like, don't worry, We'll we'll think of something if it comes to that. I also think though that if you're the UFC right now, you got to be thinking that one of the things that this fight does for you, it gives you some time to work on the heavyweight division. Uh, you got a big plan for it coming up in six months, and six months ought to be enough time for Cain Velasquez to get himself in fight shape if he's ever going to be in fight shape, get healthy, and get into a fight again. Ideally, you'd book him for that same fight card. Because 
then you have a backup if something goes wrong with, you know, if Daniel Cormier gets hurt or something, then you can maybe throw Cain Velasquez into there. Uh, and it just makes sense to kind of have them both on that same fight card. And then whatever the outcome is from that, then, you know, you're, they're both starting at the same point. They both have a fight on the same night. But I don't, it's hard for me to imagine that they see it as a likely or even possible scenario that they end up fighting each other after this. Especially if Daniel Cormier is saying, I'm already so close to the end. It's hard for me to, to see him deciding, and the thing I'll end on is I'll fight my best friend. I don't know. It solves a lot of problems for both of them. You walk away after you fight your best friend. Maybe you hand him the title in the cage. How you can both, you do it if you beat him, though? You both make a lot of money. Well, okay. But you know what? I, one thing I wonder that I think we should talk about before we, we get off this topic altogether. I, I discussed this with Danny Downs this weekend in my trading shots column, and his take on it was kind of, yeah, you know, this is going to be an awesome fight. But shouldn't it worry us a little bit that here we are, it seems like in the WME Endeavor era, they know one way to have a big fight, and it's champion versus champion. And the reason why you want to do champion versus champion, or one of the reasons you want to do this particular champion versus champion, is because there's ain't shit for either one of these guys to do in either of those other divisions, which is not necessarily a problem that's going to go away just as a result of this one fight. You're going to have to come back and confront those questions, not only in those weight classes, but in others. Should it worry us a little bit that... If, is this a little bit of desperation mode? We gotta reach for whatever's gonna make the quickest buck right now because we've got a lot of debt to take care of here. Uh, you know, the new owners paid a hefty price for this thing and we need to make, start making some of that money back. Is this a sign that we're thinking a little bit too much short-term cash grab at the expense of whatever long-term planning there might be? Well, yeah. We were already worried about WME IMG and its vision for the sport and, and how that was going. We were already worried about the light heavyweight division. We were already worried about the heavyweight division. Uh, you know, this, this decision doesn't do anything to solve any of those worries. I think it's, it's another step down the road, just kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit here. But I also think that like this is obviously the right move at this time. Uh, considering the state of both of those divisions, considering what's going on with these two champions. Uh, and, you know, if it makes everybody a lot of money, including the, the, the parent company, so be it. Like, this is the, this is like the one example that I can't bring myself to be cynical about or question. Like, I just think it's an awesome fight. We talked last week a lot about how it was the thing to do. Uh, yeah, we're worried about all those factors, but as it, as it relates specifically to this fight, I'm willing to overlook it for now. Yeah. Because I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, me too. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to play a little Master Tweet Theater. It'll be good to catch up with him. That starts right now. What's that time again? We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am beaten yet unbowed. You know, that's how I often think of you. Indeed, indeed. Sometimes oh, bowed, though. That's a typo. Sorry, I am beaten yet unboned. All right. <laughs> yeah, guess, guess he got me again. A rare uh, typo in speaking, sir. Yeah, that'll happen sometimes. Uh, so I assume you come to us... Not only with this creepy bullshit, but also with a theme. Indeed, sir. I do have a theme. The theme is plans for the future. 
Okay. That seems simple enough, does it not, Chad? Yeah, I can't wait to see how he screws this one up. Yeah. Indeed, sirs. I will say that four out of five tweets closely hew to this theme, and the fifth one is simply delightful. Well, all right. I guess that makes about as much sense as we can expect. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Frisky's Explode, the performance nutrition system for cats. Are you ready for your cat to pack on 30 pounds of lean muscle? Can you imagine the pride you'll feel when your cat is totally stacked? Frisky's Explode is packed with drustanolone, bug parts, horse Viagra, and everything else your cat needs to increase his VO max and start fucking and fighting 24 hours a day. Stop living with a pussy and start living with a predator. Frisky's Explode. Not for use with hamsters. Okay. I li- I'm interested that Frisky's Explode in their ad copy went with an appeal to my pride. Indeed. Well, any, cat ownership. That seems like an unusual choice. Well, you know, when other people see your flabby, out-of-shape cat, they judge you. That's true. They do judge me. Mm-hmm. Yes, let us begin. Do you all remember the theme? Future choices? Uh, plans for plans the future. Plans for the future. There this we go. does not bode well for you, sir. <laughs> no, it does not. Mm-hmm. Tweet the first. Well, my weight is fabulous and my ads look great, buddy. Ass left two weeks ago, frowny face emoji. Bubble to bump, considered thinking emoji. Hmm. Okay, I know this one because I saw a bunch of people pointing it out to you on Twitter when it happened. I also am not sure how this one is plans for the future. Well, she's planning for her future fight. Oh, that's a spoiler alert, it by the way. There. It's a woman who's concerned that she has lost her bubble butt. See, I already knew this. Chad? I mean, I don't know this one, but the the sheer number of typos leads me to believe it's Jessica I. Ding, ding, ding. It's it Jessica is, I. It is Jessica I, and literally dozens of you informed me of this tweet the moment it came out. Let me give you a Master Tweet Theater Insider tip. I follow Jessica I on Twitter. <laughs> what you're saying is Jessica I is not going to make a move on Twitter without Sir Nigel knowing about it. Exactly. We up on that shit. It's got to be disquieting for people in the MS- MMA world when they see followed by Sir Nigel Longstock on Twitter, <laughs> don't you think? It's also got to be disquieting for them when they send out a tweet and then immediately there are 30 people alerting Sir Nigel, a fake internet presence who they have no idea who he is. To the existence of said tweet. They know who I am. <clears throat> but yes, please send screenshots. Sir Nigel is just as blockable as any other Twitter user. This whole operation <laughs> That's unfortunate. That is fall apart. Mm, tweet the second. I'm going to be all up in your faces when Urakan the movie comes out. I play me because I can't be hashtag fake. Started filming already. Hashtag make movies great again. Wait, what was that? There was a there was a word up there yes. in the beginning. It's pronounced that's Sir Nigel's flawless Spanish accent. It's Urakan. Okay, and that's the name of a character. Uh well, Urakan the movie comes out. Hashtag Urakan. It's H U R A C accented A N. Urakan. <laughs> Okay, let's hear the whole tweet one more time. Tienes un huracán? No, no tengo un huracán. Stop it. Mm. I'm going to be all up in your faces when Huracán the movie comes out. I play me because I can't be hashtag fake started filming already. Hashtag make movies great again. Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, 
Joe Benavidez? I'm going to go Henzo Gracie here. Okay. Both fine guesses, both likely to be in a weird movie, and both wrong. It is Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Oh, okay. Gamebred. Gamebred. I'm going to move to acting. Yeah. Don't ask me what Urakan is. I, I was just about to do it. that. I researched it for a long time, and it is baffling. I believe it's a, a, a telenovela set in Mazatlan. Mazatlan? I don't speak Spanish very well, you guys. Huh. Well, thanks for really confusing the hell out of us with this one. It's about forbidden love. This was all just so you could say game bread in the voice you do. Urakan! Game bread gonna have some cheese on this game bread it's a lot of fun i prefer bread game i think he should change his nickname <laughs> tweet the third tb shout out go patriots it's through marriage excuse me tb shout out go patriots it's through marriage chad uh someone who has been led to cheer for the patriots because of their marriage I don't know who that could be. What is TB shout out? What? Don't, don't know. Tampa Bay? What is this? How is this plans for the future? Sir Nigel? Plans well, for the future? I assume he plans to continue being married and remain a Patriots fan. This one, maybe he's getting married? You're bullshit. Uh, it's, it's true. Chad, you want to take a shot at this one? Not really. Um, Matt Matrion. Hmm. Okay. Uh, poet Philip Brony. Both fine guesses, both liable to sleep with a Patriots fan, and both wrong. It is Mark Kerr. Mark Kerr. The smashing machine. You're going to come up in here in Master Tweet Theater with some Mark Kerr in the year 2018? Set an alert because every time Mark Kerr tweets, it's going to be on Master Tweet Theater. <laughs> How many times has he tweeted? Like four in total. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. <clears throat> yes, tweet the fourth. Also, very sad to find that after all he's been through, Mark Kerr winds up a Patriots fan through marriage. Through marriage, that's true. I'm sure that I'm sure that his husband is very happy. Mm, tweet the third, fourth. Tweet the fourth. Everyone's shaking their just, heads. We're just sitting, over, just quietly shaking our heads over you. You don't think Mark Kerr can be in a domestic partnership with a male Patriots? Fan? I didn't say that. Did okay. I say that? No, because that's in the that's in the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet the fourth. I'm going to start asking people to call me professor. Professor of what? Professor of nothing! I assume nothing is in all caps there at the end? All caps with three exclamation points, sir. As befits a punchline. See, at least this one is a future plan. Mm-hmm. She's going to. Oh. Ah, oh, damn. Is Again. She? Why does this keep working on me? Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go crazy here and go Julie Kedzie. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, it's a good guess. That's a damn good guess. I guess I'm not going to use it though. I'm going to go, uh, Paige Van Zandt. <laughs> both fine guesses, both damn good in varying degrees and both wrong. It is Felice Herrig. Oh, see, I feel like Julie Kedzie could really, uh, own the identity of Professor of Nothing. Indeed. I think it would work. She could assign extra homework and whatnot. And just not even look at it when you turn it in. Indeed. She's professor got a of TA of nothing for that. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. What an incredible job Trace Adkins did last night at Bellator MMA 192. You song the anthem as well as I have ever heard it sung. Spell... <sighs> Spell the word you know I'm asking about You here. song the anthem, S-O-N-G. 
Okay, and then when it is used in the past tense? As well as I have ever heard it sung. S-U-N-G. I sort of muffed oh. the pronunciation there. Okay. Well, that kind of messes with my plan to say Vanderlei Silva. But I'm still going to say Vanderlei Silva. Also, well, not a future plan. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this one, this one doesn't fit at all. It's a wild card. Uh, there's a lot of good options here, right? Because of the typo. I'm thinking maybe Tito Ortiz, yeah. but it could also be Randy Couture, who's involved with Bellator, okay. or noted country music fan, Chael Sonnen. Could even be Big John McCarthy. Anybody can make a typo. I'm going to go Randy Couture here. Both fine guesses, both apt to misspell a four-letter word, and both wrong. It is Big John McCarthy. Ah, son of a bitch! As you surmised. <sighs> this is why I need to take more time and work through these. Wait a second. Is this the one that you described as delightful? Yes, it delights me. It's, who knew he was a Trace Atkins fan? I feel like you could have guessed that. And also, he no longer has to maintain the pretense of total objectivity. He can come <laughs> out and say his opinion. At last, at last, we can hear what Big John McCarthy thinks of the national anthem. Indeed, he loves it. He's never heard anybody <laughs> song it like that. Well, I guess that does it for Message Week Theater. What else you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an exciting project about an aquatic creature who falls in love with a human woman and tricks her into drinking pee. <laughs> I see. What's it called? It's called The Shape of Water World. And what role do you play? I play the creature's non-threatening ex-girlfriend, a manatee. Oh, okay. Well, that was Sir Nigel Longstock, and that was Master Tweet Theater. Thank you, sir. the middleweight division is wide open i thought we might get a little bit of direction with the promotion of uh robert knuckles to uh actual champion but he's been felled by a dread disease of some kind reports still a little bit spotty there in terms of exactly what is going on uh with robert whitaker posted a uh some footage of himself hitting pads this week to let us know he's up and around, so that's good. We don't know if that's... I mean, he needs to be like holding a newspaper with one that's, hand and hitting pads the other that's true. before we know for sure what's that going could on there. Be, that could be months-old footage of Robert Whitaker. I think I saw the Kennedy assassination out the window uh, while, he was, while he was doing that workout. Loch Ness Monster you go straight, by. go straight Kennedy assassination, huh? It's, it's how I mark my time. Man. Yeah, okay. That's unusual. So just, to, just so we understand exactly what's happening here, Michael Bisping was the, the champion. After beating the previous champion. Then he lost to George St. Pierre, who promptly bowed out. Then interim champion Bobby Knuckles gets promoted to actual champion. Uh, but then he is felled by a dread disease. And so Luke Rockhold and Yuval Romero will now fight for the new interim championship, while Bobby Knuckles remains the old, real former interim champion. So basically, it's just a goddamn free-for-all. What about your man, Jacare, man? Goes out there and gets first-round knockout win over Derek Brunson. Head kick and punches. Uh, kind of like it ain't no big deal. Yeah. Jacare did it. He knew he was going to get it done eventually. No big rush. Three and two now in his last five. Those losses are to Robert Whitaker and the Cuban muscle crisis, Yoel Romero. Uh, but you got this wide-open division now. Jacare, uh, he obviously is not a spring chicken at 38 years old, but... Uh, 
I guess we got to consider him back in the mix, whatever the mix is right now. No, for Jacare, man, chaos is a ladder. He is coming along at just the right time here to see the middleweight division kind of so wide open just because nobody knows what the hell is going on. Like, you win one good fight like Jacare did, and sure, you, you could be in the conversation for a, an interim title. Why not? And it kind of helps that, you know, Jacare is one of those guys who seems like just perennially right there at the top of the division. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody pulls out of a fight. Do you need somebody that can jump in there? Jacare has got to be at the top of your list right now. If I'm Jacare, I am very encouraged by what I see going on in this weight class right now. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you kind of just said it, but Jacare seems like one of those dudes we're always going to watch. Like, kind of no matter what is going on in his career, unless things were to get really, really sad. It seems like uh, a guy that, that like we are interested in, we will watch because he's either going to uh, put his world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the, on display and tap somebody out, or he might just kick you in your damn head yeah. and then, and then pound you into a And then just KO stroll finish. on over to where you are reeling from the blow and finish you off. Alligator emoji, alligator emoji, alligator emoji. Uh, somewhat less inspiring, maybe, is the main event of this upcoming UFC 125, Fight Night 125 event uh, from Brazil this Saturday. Leoto Machida versus Eric Anders uh, in a middleweight fight. Thought it was kind of crazy when Eric Anders won his last fight, got on the mic and called out Leoto Machida. And yet, here we are. The guy, a CME emailer referred to last week as that Alabama football dude, seems to be on a come up at 185 pounds. And here we are uh, kind of fighting a, a limited version of the dragon, Leota Machida. You know, instead of referring to him as that Alabama football dude, I think we got to just go ahead and embrace Eric Anders' ridiculous nickname. I refer now, of course, to your boy. You know, your boy... Just buy in, man. Buy in. I was going to say, our podcast is nickname obsessed, and everyone knows that. I'm almost at the point of saying, your boy, Eric Anders, by the way, spelled Y-A-B-O-I. Of course. How else would it be spelled? Is it so bad it's good? Yes. Well, no. But maybe. I, I mean, it's so bad that it kind of dares me to use it and to use it as seriously and somberly as possible. Like... I, I almost uh, want to, like, imagine a scenario where, like, John Anik is sitting there at, like, the Fox Sports desk or something and saying, like, and, of course, the UFC's thoughts and prayers are with your boy tonight as he was in a serious car accident on Interstate 90. You know, like, you just want to make a bunch of adults in suits say your boy over and over again, don't you? I want to hear Bruce Buffer say it. I guess we will. Maybe if he makes yeah, boy. down to Brazil. Interesting to note that uh, I go straight to the Kennedy assassination. You go straight to imagining Eric Anders in a terrible car accident. He's going to be fine. He's going to recover Full in this recovery. in this hypothetical. But there's going to be some touch and go moments, and then he's going to have an inspiring comeback story. And it's going to be like, you know, they're going to we're going to look back on it and mean like there were concerns that maybe your boy would never fight again. <laughs> wow, that's. That was uh, VH1 behind the music yeah, voice right there. That's right. Uh, Leota Coming Machida. up next, your boy. <laughs> uh, ben, Leota Machida, one and four in his last five. Losses to Derek Brunson, Yoel Romero, and Luke yeah. Rockhold. Speaking of getting sad. huh? Well, that's what, what are we doing here? We're, we're, we're propping up 
your boy, right? Yep. We're get, putting your boy in a situation where, as you said about Valentina Shevchenko, maybe he's going to knock out a Brazilian hero down there in Brazil. We are doing the fight game thing where you cannibalize the old parts to help propel the, the new ones. That's exactly what we're going doing here. And just to rub a little salt in the wound, we're going to go ahead and do it down in Brazil. So come on out, everybody. This Saturday night, watch one of your heroes get absolutely demolished for no good reason. You want to talk about the Patreon? Yes. What are we going to do, Ben, to keep ourselves out of hot water? Well, as everyone knows, now that we looked at the terms of service, uh, you cannot do a raffle or any kind of game of chance for Patreon because it's that is kind of considered, the terms of it's illegal. I've heard it's considered gambling. Gambling. But we are so pleased that we hit our Patreon goal. So what we're going to do is use our newsletter, the Breakfast of Champions newsletter, and subscribers to that might just find themselves the recipient of some weird MMA swag that we choose at random. We're going to be doing that this week? Yes. Giving stuff away? Yeah, so if you want to be a part of that, you need to sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. And if you're just happy about everything that that goes along with all that, and you feel like becoming a a patron of this here podcast, you know how to do it. You go to patreon.com slash co-main event. What I'm hearing you saying is that due to the long arm of the federal government, we got to do our giveaways through the Breakfast of Champions. So if you want in, if you want to get some free stuff, got to go sign up for the newsletter. It's short. It's informative. We like to think it's funny. Get some free stuff and then unsubscribe maybe. I don't know. You don't have to. Why, no, would, you, just why would you even subscribe. put that in people's head? I don't know why people unsubscribe anyway. Every time it happens, I send, a, so send an email that says, you'll be back. You'll be back. No, I don't. I don't really do that. No, but you do shout that as you sit in your '87 Chrysler drinking hams. <laughs> I do shout that. You'll be back. You'll all be back. This whole town will be sorry. All right, Ben. Let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Are we going to say who we give the stuff away to next week on the show? Are we going to say who it was? Maybe we'll or say do, it in the newsletter. Is it just? Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. So people will be uh, shrouded in mystery. You'll Everyone's going to be want back. You'll come groveling <laughs> back to us. Uh, what's your just saying stuff for this week, Ben? Chad, you knew looking at the lineup that this past weekend's UFC on Fox was not exactly going to tear it up ratings-wise. And it didn't seem like the UFC was even really trying to do that. kind of seemed like the UFC was mailing it in because they feel like they're all halfway out the door with Fox. And then, lo and behold, uh, reports out say the lowest overnight ratings in series history. I'm just saying... Take a listen to what the UFC got beat out by in the the 8 p.m. time slot here on Saturday night. Okay. Lay it on me. First, there's the NBA. Okay, that's respectable. Yeah, I believe it was actually the NBA countdown show starting at 8, and the game didn't start till like 8.30, but still, prime time Saturday night, uh, NBA game on ABC, kind of beat the pants off the UFC there, but... The other two things, among the top four networks, UFC comes in last on Fox. The other two shows to beat it, uh-huh. reruns of NCIS what? and Will and Grace. Holy Mary. I'm just saying, remember when the Fox deal was going to completely change this sport? Remember that? Bigger just, than soccer. Just saying? Just saying. Reruns of Will and Grace? Not even like, you know... I could see fresh Will and Grace content. Who could possibly look away from that? But reruns? Obviously, at this point, we've all seen every single episode of Will and Grace. There's nothing new there. Whew. We could recite them by heart. I know you can. Just saying. Just saying. Ben, breaking news out this week. Speaking of your boy, the Iceman Chuck Liddell 
is going to go Wait, ahead. You said speaking of your boy. Yeah, your boy, Chuck Liddell, the Iceman. I have but one your boy these days. <laughs> okay, your old boy. Uh, the your Iceman, boy. Chuck Liddell, is going to go ahead and be part of the Celebrity Big Brother reality television show. Oh, okay. Over there on some network at some point. I believe it starts filming next month in February. So this week, I'm just saying, whoo, thank God. Am I right? <laughs> thank God. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week uh, to break down all the stuff that happens at this UFC in Brazil and look ahead to future mixed martial arts action. And I guess maybe we'll tell you who won the uh, the giveaway. Maybe not. Maybe you got to sign up for the Breakfast of Champions. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know who else I heard is going to be on that celebrity big brother? Uh, Mark Kerr? Uh, Omarosa. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. And hold, just hear me out here. Omarosa? Fired from the White House, ends up on Celebrity Big Brother. Chuck Liddell, fired from the UFC, ends up on Celebrity Big Brother. And lo and behold, the UFC and the Trump White House continue to meld into one giant ungodly entity. This, this entire political climate makes, it, makes the, the, the difference between being a senior advisor to the president and 